And if, and if what God says about me is true, that I am holy and blameless, made the righteousness of God, then like what I want, what I desire and who I am is in step with the spirit. And if, mm-hmm. and if it isn't, I'm believing a lie. I'm believing a lie that I, that's what I want. I'm believing a lie about for my worldview. Cloudy when you sinking, got you thinking it's a whirlpool. Caesar in your pockets, you can't see who's in your pockets. But Stevie's inner visions touch your eyes and make the world move. Wifey bob her head and make her curls move. Crown jewel is character, and this ain't immortality with fairy dust. Never land, never say I never gave you hands. Welcome to the Belfast Podcast, dedicated to those deconstructing and reconstructing their faith. Today was it was an interesting conversation, uh, and a, for for a couple of reasons, um, my buddy Rich um, and I got in touch again through Instagram, um, and he was a was a friend I went to high school with. I went to boarding school with him in, in Kenya, and uh, he was in my class. I knew him then. We were friends, I guess, acquaintance friends. You know those kind of people. You probably had those relationships before, but uh, we reconnected because of some comments through Instagram. Uh, we DM'd, and then we just talked about what's been going on. Uh, there was a specific conversation he wanted to have with me, and I was like, "Great, can I record this for the podcast?" He was like, "Sure." So that's what we had today. We talked about hyper grace. We talked about God's grace. We talked about new creations. We talked about uh, the new creation of of the world, the new kingdom. In the kingdom of God, and we talked about us being made new creations, our hearts, our hearts being remade, the heart of stone becoming the heart of flesh. Uh, we talked about some biblical interpretations, and and that it was fun. It was really good. And I hope for those of you who might listen to this, who might catch some of these things and be like, man, it's always become really scholarly. It's become like, you know, a bunch of heady stuff. I, I hope. And, and this was this was beautiful because this was super practical. This was very much, you know, how do we apply what's going on? How does God's spirit work in us? What does it mean to be redeemed? What does it mean to be made new? Very tangible, very, very foundational things to us and our identity in Christ. So um, for those of you who might not have enjoyed some of the more scholarly conversations I've been having, uh, this one, this one's for you. And I, I really hope it's, it's good. I really hope that you can learn something and bring something from it. Uh, and, and I hope it's challenging. I hope it's enlightening. And if you do find, some, find comfort, find peace, find understanding from this, give me a like, give me a rate, subscribe, and um, shoot me an email, um, review me on iTunes, all that stuff. I just, I just love, love seeing those things, love hearing that um, y'all are enjoying it. I love reading the comments. I love replying. Um, it's been very, very, um, like I said, very encouraging. So thank you all for that. Thank you very much for listening. And I will see you in the next one. Okay, so there we are. Um, right. Yeah, so give your little uh, transition you're about to make because yeah, so, we're recording now. <laughs> yeah, so we're in the process of finding a new lead pastor. Mm-hmm. And part of the reason why it's taken a long time, um, well, A, uh, you can't just put anyone to that position. There's mm-hmm. cultural context, um, there's background, there's um, relevancy. But what we're really focusing on, and, and I think all churches should be focusing on, um, is theology first. 
And, and what I mean by theology is, is more so um, how are they communicating it? Cause just like you were saying, it matters how things are taught. It matters how yeah. it's communicated, how it's worded so that people are able to understand. And I think from a preaching standpoint and pastoring standpoint is how are people not only knowing these things, but able to then experience and, and believe like I love um, I'm listening to a podcast right now. It's called the Bama podcast. I don't know Dude, I really was hoping you were going to bring that up. So um, yeah, I love freaking love Bama podcast. Yeah. Uh, so, I actually have my own Bama. Well, we aren't meeting during the summer because my parents are actually back in Zimbabwe right now yeah. um, till, you know, the end of the month. Uh, they've been there for about five weeks now. So they're going to be there for about 10 total. Um, but anyway, uh, I got on it because some friends from Springfield when I was at MSU were listening to it. So just quick backstory. So like friends at MSU were listening to it. The pastor of the church I go to in Springfield is a big fan. Um, I actually have, I don't have the hard copy, but I have Rabbi Foreman's, um, Beast of Crutches at the Door book yeah. about Cain and Adam and Eve, which is yeah. fantastic. Um, so yeah, I was on it for a while cause I had friends who liked it and then I got my mom to listen to it. And what's super funny, and me and Daniel have talked about this on the podcast a couple episodes ago. Um, my mom ended up listening to it for the first time on a trip to St. Louis and she gets back and she was like, Luke, I, she was like, I haven't, like, how have I never seen any of this? Right. Mm-hmm. Um, she was like, I was literally in the car, like, yes, yes, yes. It makes like so much sense. Right. Yeah. Um, so then we started a Bama group because I had other friends who I got on. That is awesome. Um, so yeah, we have about eight people in the group now. One of my, my good friends who I want to have back, I've talked to him about what we're going to, discuss um but my good friend who's a messianic jew um that's one of my favorite podcast episodes i've had um i called it Jew- being jewish and believing in jesus or i just had him tell his testimony but he's been part of the group so it's really interesting to hear him like agree and disagree with marty and like draw on different things mm-hmm. um so that's just been a lot of fun uh i've probably I'll, I'll say this i've listened through um i think torah or bema yeah. and then um, I've listened to some of his stuff on New Testament. Um, actually, a lot of the stuff I was doing for the church uh, when I interned there, which is what we were talking about before this was recording. Um, and I think I mentioned this with Daniel. So if you've been listening to the podcast, you might catch this. But like, uh, um, is how Mark um, frames the gospel as a as like parallels to a coronation of a Roman Caesar. So like, we were I was doing a lot of that stuff for the church for a Good Friday experience. Like, how do I integrate this? How do you communicate it right? Um, all those all those kinds of things. So, yes, love, love the Baby Podcast. How far are you into it? How long have you been listening? So, dude, I probably, I don't know how many hours I've logged. It's not like an insane amount, but, like, I, I jump all over the place. And <laughs> I, you go, you come to these episodes where he's like, don't jump all over the place. Make sure you go back and listen, for, listen like, from first and go to the, to yeah. the end. But my, my curiosity and my <laughs> Um, they get the best of me. So I've jumped yeah. all over the place. Um, actually, his first episode after his like intros and mm-hmm. like yeah. intro, to intro is part of the reason why I want to talk on rest. Dude, um, yeah. Okay. Yeah. So if we want to go there, we can. Um, but we uh, like we hadn't. So sorry, this is like we maybe should have done this pre-show, but 
anyway, right. it's my it's my show. I can do what I want. Um, exactly. Uh, no, we had initial interaction because of what Todd Owens posted, which was like not a bad interaction, but like talking about grace. So like, if you want to talk about uh, rest and all that, I'm like I'm fine. But um, Dude, I was I also very curious to talk about your. Part, I think. Yeah. Okay. Do you do you want to start with the rest thing then, or do you want to like I was going to read Owen's post and your response and then like here let me here I'll segue into that. So part of the the reason why I mentioned Bema, um, hey, there's lots of cool things to talk about, but you probably heard previously in this conversation we mentioned this this verb of wrestling. Mm -hmm. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. And so that's that's part of the reason why. like I've, I've changed my verbiage to wrestle because I think that describes us interacting with scripture, interacting with each other um, and how to handle controversy and disagreements, mm-hmm. uh, but how to come back to like uh, the truth of the matter and, and kind of seeking um, the seeking the text, being people of a text. Um, so anyways, the reason why I brought that up was because of that wrestle thing, there's so much to kind of go through. So I don't want to get on rabbit trails because I w- really want to talk about this, this post that Mr. Owens had, which uh, I'll get into this more, which I, I loved 98% of it, but there's some verbiage <laughs> in there. Yeah, 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 yeah. So anyways, the reason why I bring that up is um, we're in the search for a lead pastor that... Okay. Um, we're talking about theology was the... Was the, the Yeah, the emphasis um, on theology. of this. And part of our distinctives, like we're a non-denominational church, mm-hmm. but that doesn't mean we just believe anything and everything. Like there's some key distinctives. Yeah. Um, like we like we believe. Um, and so one of them is this idea of this new creation and understanding the new covenant. Yeah. Um, and dude, I bet we can have so many conversations about, um, the old and the new and, and how God is, has, has really, um, un- unfolded this story to kind of help us understand, even though it's beyond us and, and so, so intricately woven and above us, he's, he's really, um, I've gained a better understanding through Bema, through reading scripture myself. Um, so this, this key distinctive that we really want to have our lead pastor to have is this understanding of new creation, new covenant, mm-hmm. which, um, which really comes from this uh, Galatians 2.20 passage, uh, mm-hmm. which is uh, we're a part of a network of churches that's called Network 2.20. And the reason why it's called that is out of Galatians 2.20. Um, and it, it basically says, it's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me, the life I now live in the flesh I live. Um, I don't want to butcher it, but because he died and loved me. And so like this, this dynamic. Here, of, yeah, I'm going to, I'm going to just pull it up. So keep talking. Yeah. And so if this is actually true, like if, if Christ is in you, what, what's the significance and how does this, how do you start to um, see other scripture and other parts of both the old and new kind of echoing this, this, this truth of Christ in you, this new heart, this new creation. Um, because I think a lot of people, um, like I had a friend growing up in college, um, growing up when I was in college, I had a friend yeah. who constantly was like, your heart is deceitful and wicked. We, we gotta and, go. We gotta get there, baby. We gotta get there. I, yeah. all right, keep going, keep going, keep going. And, and I always, I wrestled with that because, we hear Jesus say, like, <laughs> yeah. you have a circumcised heart. Yeah. And then you hear, um, like, in, in Ezekiel, and the prophecy is, like, mm-hmm. I'm going to remove this heart of stone. I'm going to give you a heart of flesh. Heart of flesh. Mm-hmm. Um, and so 
this understanding of Jesus's work inside of us, mm-hmm. um, not only his death, but his, but his um, burial and resurrection is essential to understand this new birth, this new creation, this new heart. Mm-hmm. Um, so when I was a senior in college, I did my, uh, we had an inductive Bible study course and I did my passage that I was kind of breaking down context. Everything was on Titus two. Um, and Titus two, uh, starting in verse 11, I'm I'm just going to go ahead and bring it up real fast. All right. While you're doing that, I'm going to pee really quick. And then I have, I have another book I need to grab for reference, but yeah, give me, give me just a few seconds. All right. No worries. Are we good? All right, go ahead. Titus 2. Yeah, so it says, For the grace of God has appeared. That's all. Sorry, for the grace of God has appeared that offers salvation to all people. And I was like, That starts to, you have to understand what grace is. And what he's denoting is is Jesus. Like, what Mm -hmm. is grace? Grace is the gift that we didn't deserve. Who do we, who do we not deserve that, that appeared giving salvation was Jesus. So then I start to reread it. For Jesus has appeared offering salvation to all people. So it or he teaches us to say no to ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled upright lives in this present age. Um, and, it, and it started to really expand my understanding of grace, understanding of Jesus, this, this concept of like forgiveness is it's, it doesn't stop there. It goes into like yeah. this, this, uh, this gift of grace and Jesus and you goes further than just forgiveness it's new life. It's this teacher. It's this, this counselor, AKA the Holy spirit, which is letting us cling to and embrace this life that is now choosing to say no to ungodliness. And it's teaching us, it says to, to live upright and godly in this present age. And it continues saying, while we wait for the blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and savior, Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us to redeem us from all wickedness and to purify for himself a people that are uh, that are his very own, eager to do what is good. And so this, my senior year, I was really like, okay. And then you have First Peter two, or I think it's First Peter um, two nine, where it talks about God's people, people being a, a a holy nation, a royal priesthood, a people of His own possession. And so you totally have to- harkening back to Israel. Right. Yeah. Broadening, broadening who it, who's involved. Yeah. So you have this major contradiction if we're continuing with this, this line of thought of, okay, I'm wicked and deceitful and broken. Mm-hmm. And now hearing, okay, I'm crisis in me. I'm holy and blameless. Romans six saying, okay, you're, you're now dead to sin. Count yourself alive to God. 
Um, like we have to, we have to wrestle with this because both can't be true. Um, and so that's why I think this would be a good segue into that quote. Um, so I don't know if you can bring it up. Uh, I think I took yeah, I'm gonna, I pulled that. it up on my phone. Um, I have, I'll have one thing to add to that before we get there. Yeah. It might, might help that conversation. Um, okay. So, all right. A little bit of an introduction. All right. So, and this was, I have a, again, talking about the podcast. I have, I did a talk at Ichthus, which was the student ministry I was involved in at MSU uh, when I went there and I have spoken there twice since um, on, you know, different topics. Um, but one of the things that I talked about my, and I think it's episode, I posted on the podcast, I think it's episode six. Um, it's called where, where do we place our faith? Um, and that was like my, I've been listening to Bama a lot during this time. So that was, you know, very much in my head at the moment. Um, but the central passage that I was wrestling with was Galatians, what you just brought up Galatians two twenty. And I will, I'm going to read, I'm going to do what I did for my talk. I'm going to read this in a few versions. And then what I have in my hands right here, because I can't pull it up online, is um, N.T. Wright's um, The Kingdom New Testament, his translation of of the New Testament, um, which I think puts a different spin on the verse. It's really helpful to think about. So I'm going to read Galatians. I'll read 19 through um, 20. Um, and, and just a few versions just to get it in our heads. And then I have a question that will lead to uh, the right translation. Paul says this, for, though the law, for through the law I died, I died to the law so that I might live for God. I've been crucified with Christ, and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. And here's the key sentence. The life I now live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. That was in the... NIV, I'll read it in the ESV next, and then uh, give me just another translation. Um, NASB. Okay. Um, NASB. All right. So here it is in the ESV, Galatians 19 through 20. For through the law, I died to the law so that I might live to God. I've been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. That was ESV, NASB. Actually, do the, do the net, net Bible. The, I think it's the New English Translation. Okay, New English. That's been one I actually go to a lot. Okay. All right, here it is, 19 through 20. For through the law, I died to the law, so that I may live to God. I've been crucified with Christ, and it is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. So the life I now live in the body, I live because of the faithfulness of the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. All right, that's good. That's interesting. Okay, and then I will read Wright's translation exactly pretty much very similar to that. He says this, let me explain it like this. 
through the law, I died to the law so that I might live to God. I've been crucified with the Messiah. I am, however, alive. But it isn't me any longer. It's the Messiah who lives in me. And the life I still live in the flesh, I live within the faithfulness of the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. All right, so here's my question. What kind of faith? Right? Because the first two translations read NIV and ESV say, in the life I now live, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. We have a struggle with this in our, in our Western English minds when we see the phrase by faith. We think of it as some mental assent to uh, affirm some ethereal truths, more or less. I'm being a little bit hyperbolic, but I don't think so, right? Like, by faith, okay, I, and this is also the struggle of how I think we talk about faith in, in Western Christianity is like as a broad spectrum, but I think this is a good, you know, meta example. So I live by faith in the Son of God. Oh, so like the connotation then that we read into that is like, I live if I have enough faith, mm. if I can mentally ascend enough, if I can like read enough, if I can learn enough, if I can do enough, right? And it's not even just action oriented, which is part of my problem with it. Mm. It's more of like a it's a mental orientation that we're supposed to then have right if i can only if i can have the right mental orientation if i can have the right kind of faith in jesus then my life will be good by that by that christ will live in me which like i'm all for thinking rightly right that's the one of the reasons i do this podcast right how do we think about things affects how we act which is like my ultimate goal but the in the connotations that we have in that verse the life I now live, I live by faith. So I live if I have enough mental assent to Jesus, basically is how we interpret that. Well, how the NASB and how Wright have translated it is very different. Let me read it again. For through the law, I died to the law so that I might live to God. I've been crucified with Christ, and it's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. So the life I now live in the body, catch this. I live because of the faithfulness of the Son of God. So whose faith? It's not your faith. It's not your mental ascent that lets Christ live in you now. It's because he's faithful. Mm. Because he's faithful. It's not about your faith. Mm. I mean, it is about your faith because we have to affirm. We have to believe. We have to confess. We have to act out. And I think that's part of our issue with faith, right? And it's implicit in this faithfulness of Jesus. It's not a Christ thought certain things about his father or Christ thought thought certain things about the crucifixion. I'm preaching now that like saves you. It's because he was the only one who was actually faithful. Mm. That's what saves you. That sparks a little thought. Um, Growing up slash um, how would you define repentance this is something so you bring this up this is what i want to talk to my jewish friend peter about okay right? because the jewish conceptions of repentance of shuv or teshuv are very different than how we commonly think of repentance so this is like teaser for those of you who like might be interested in listening to this conversation that me and peter have i mean you have parts of this i guess yeah um so and this is part of my like act problem with like the the neglect of impetus to action um, of how we like conceptualize faith, it becomes purely a conceptual basis rather than a like framework through which I live my life. Mm-hmm. Um, so 
I put it, I usually put it this way and tell me if, tell me if this is contrary to your experience or, um, or parallel. And I think those of you who are listening might find this understandable. But tell me if I'm wrong. When I thought about, I wouldn't even say repentance, but yes, repentance slash forgiveness. You hinted at some of this earlier. When I thought about forgiveness or repentance, I was only worried about hearing the phrase, I forgive you. Right? And this showed up in my last relationship. This was part of the reason things didn't go so well was because we never, I put it this way, we never learned how to actually fight. We talked about a bunch of stuff. We would say, please forgive me and I'm sorry. And then we would hear, or I would hear, I forgive you. And that, in my head, I was like, good enough for me. Right? And I think, and this is what is the impetus for the conversation when I have with Peter, is like, when you talk about, this is also very interesting, so side note, I think Marty gets into this. I've heard him talk about it. Yeah. We have... We have a forgiveness and repentance issue in our like broad evangelical conceptions. Um, and we have a, I think that stems from our big, like almost uh, like, I'll put it this way to be a little bit um, like shocking, like our, um, our like pornographic obsession with sin. Mm. And what I mean by that is, it's this. So in, in, in the Jewish mind, in the Jewish world, there was, there was one day where, or one week where you focused on your sin. And it was the day of atonement. This is Leviticus 16. And during that time, as you fasted, as you prayed, as you reflected on yourself and your actions and how you affected those around you in your community and your relationship with God, the, the goal was not to say, and Jesus gets into this, all right, in some weird ways, which we can get, I'll talk about in a second. Um, the goal was to say, all right, here's the ways in which my sins have affected me and affected other people and affected my relationship with God. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to go, and this is something Peter talked about when he talked about, because um, because the day of atonement was happening during this time when we had our group, is he said, the goal was to go to people who you had sinned against and said, I realize here's what I've done to you and here's how I'm changing it. And I think that's so interesting. A, think about all the feasts and all the celebrations that happen in, in, in Judaism. Yeah. And one day, one time of the year is dedicated to your, your forgiveness for you and for your whole community. Whereas we have this like, masturbatory pornographic obsession with our sin and evangelicalism where it's like, Oh, how much am I sinning? How much am I not sinning? Like, if I don't do this and do that, then like, I'm okay. Right. Which like, I think those, those motivations come from good places, but it turns out that we're like oddly obsessed mm. with our sin. Yeah. And, and, uh, I, and I would say oddly obsessed in like, in the way that we interact with it. Right. Because in my growing up years and my understanding that and the way it functioned in, and the reason I broke up my my ex is like the way it functioned in my past relationship was the the um uh the implicit 
the implicit thing I was taught about how I deal with my sin mm-hmm. is all you need is all you need to hear is forgiveness, which is like great. Like forgiveness is amazing. Like we don't have forgiveness if we don't have the cross. Don't get me wrong. Yeah. But it's like there is no a there's an obsession with sin and B there's this thing where it's like, okay, well, like there is no actually turning away from what I'm doing and you know, changing how I live because of Christ. It's uh, what I, what you hear a lot is like, Oh, I'm sh- like struggling, which is like all well and good, but I don't know if I'm making sense at this point. This is something I'm yep. still like working on, but um, does, you get where I'm going have, with this. If you could boil that down to a sentence, um, let me try and summarize. Let me Go see if, if I understood correctly, you would say repentance is, um, is this desire um, to be forgiven? Like repentance is this desire to... I guess uh, my point was that there was no real repentance. There was just forgiveness. Mm. Right? Yeah. Um, and the, you need forgiveness to then repent. Right. But I think that we wrongfully conflate like hearing I forgive you with like that meaning we've repented, which I don't think that those two are the same thing, right? You were just talking about this with what was going on. Like if there is like you love and you provide the space and you say like, look, here's what's happening. Mm. If you know, these things are going to change, right? You need to repent. You need to turn away from what's going on. Right. I just did an episode that I haven't posted yet with Daniel where he talked about Jonah. And what's so fascinating is like Jonah calls them to repentance and they do. Right, they change from their ways, and well, that's a that's a good segue into to what I wanted to bring up about repentance. So, so growing, so yeah, up, go ahead. Growing up, when I heard um, repentance, it was communicated to me. It's a one eighty degree turn, and then walking and going the other direction. So, yeah. if you're sinning, it's okay. You're stopping, and it's going in the opposite opposite direction. It's you getting off of that path of sinfulness and walking on this narrow um, path that's, that's godly. Yeah. And I was like, okay, that's, that's good. So I, like, I repent, like I, I, I'm, I'm stopping and I'm going and I'm doing the, the yeah. right thing. But I, I don't know if I was preaching on this or if I was discussing it and the blue letter Bible has become like a really close friend of mine because oh, yeah. I don't, I don't know Greek and Hebrew. Um, but thankfully, like you don't have to know it. You can study it and find resources and everything. And if you go in Mark chapter one, so sh- uh, Mark chapter one, and it's 14 and 15, Jesus is talking and he says, repent and believe for the kingdom of God is here. Like this is good news. And, and so I looked at what the Greek, uh, like the word repent meant. And you know what it says? It says to change one's thinking. It had nothing to do with action. It had nothing to do with, with your effort. It had everything to do with you acknowledging and saying, man, that is not right. And I am now changing the way I think. And that in turn will produce this 180 degree turn. Yeah. And me going the right way and yeah. choosing the right thing. So, and this has been a sticking point for some people in our church because we distinguish between forgiveness, repentance, and confession. We th- there yeah. Are three yeah, 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 yeah. Um, this is what I was like, you're taking it one step further for, than yeah, what so, I was talking about, right? Yeah, so 
it's really changed my mind because I think people were so quick to jump past this change that, that happens in the mind mm-hmm. and, and what it means to, and it kind of goes along, along the uh, same lines as confession. Confessions basically in the Greek means um, to say the same thing or to have the same word. Yep. If you're confessing, you're not, if you're confessing something to God, you're not asking God to, to forgive you again. You're confessing and saying, man, Jesus, that wasn't right. What, what I did, I do acknowledge, man, I see like I'm agreeing with you mm-hmm. because as mm-hmm. believers, we don't need Jesus to die again or to purify us again. It's, it's funny. And dude, pull this up, go to, go to second Peter one. Okay. And if you go to second Peter one or second Peter two, I'm sorry. You're good. Second uh, Peter two. Second Peter two. Let me pull uh, up. There's one. so much interesting stuff in this passage, but yeah. What, what do you want me to read? So actually, <laughs> um, actually I have it up. Okay. So basically yeah, you can read it. This divine power that's given us everything we need. What, for God's Sorry. Life. What verse are you in? Uh, verse three. Okay. So it says his divine power has given us everything we need for godly life through our knowledge of him who called us by his own glory and goodness. And through he has given us his very great and precious promises. Um, and I want to skip down to verse, verse five, where it starts listing out these things that um, kind of represent a godly life or someone that's walking in step with the spirit. Yeah. He says, um, he talks about goodness and knowledge and self-control and perseverance mutual affection, brotherly love. Yeah. And the part that rings out to me that I didn't really realize, it says, for if you possess these qualities in, is increasing, they will keep you from being ineffective and unproductive in your knowledge of your Lord Jesus Christ. Okay, yes. Mm. Verse nine, but whoever does not have them, whoever does not have these qualities, isn't seeing them in their life. It says they are nearsighted and blind, forgetting that they've been cleansed from their past sins. So, for example, if someone doesn't have this brotherly love, if someone doesn't have this self-control, if someone doesn't have name a fruit of the spirit, name something that's godly, it's not because they're not working hard enough. He, mm. he doesn't say, mm. okay, you don't have these things, so try harder, or hey, uh, you need to do this and this and this, so you have that. It says you've forgotten that you've been cleansed. You've forgotten mm. who is in you. You've forgotten that you're a son or daughter, and that this is now who you are. So remember that. And from that belief, through that understanding and changing your way of thinking from, man, I'm this lowly, rotten sinner that needs to come to God for forgiveness. It's, man, I need to acknowledge that I'm believing something contrary to, contrary to who God says I am. Mm-hmm. And, if, and if what God says about me is true, that I am holy and blameless, made the righteousness of God, then like what I want, what I desire, and who I am, is in step with the spirit. And if, mm-hmm. and if it isn't, I'm believing a lie. I'm believing a lie that I, that's what I want. I'm believing a lie about that's who I am. So this really began to make me, and, and I see this all over the place. Like it wasn't just these one verses that I felt like I was taking out of context. I began to see it in this identity. And I began to see this, this first um, catalyst for good works was starts in the mind. It starts in mm. what you mm. understanding and believing. It's not mm. about trying and discipline, even yeah. though those are good things. Those aren't those aren't the the root of the issue. And so this really is beginning right. to change change the way that I approach um, sin and kind of bringing us back to um, that quote is if grace is making us think that we're 
uh, broken on the inside, then, and we're trying to somehow fix it through, tr- I, I don't know, doing things or, or whatever it is, then we've already lost the battle because our victory comes from us believing that Jesus did what he said he did, believing that Jesus, who he said we were, we actually are. And that's what helps us find victory. But the part I do love. Um, about- Here, let me, let me just read the whole quote. Yeah. And then uh, I can read your response if you want me to, or if you just want to respond now. Yeah, um, I'll just respond now and then I'll hand it to you. Okay. So the quote was this, this is a post from a, a ex teacher of ours at RVA who I love Todd Owens, by the way. Oh my God. Um, the, the quote is this, it's a tweet and it says, the thing about grace is that it gives us the freedom to be honest about the brokenness in ourselves and our communities. If whatever you're calling grace quote is more interesting, it was more interested in hiding, ignoring, or quickly moving on from sin it is not grace because it is not honest. So remember, I said I agree with 98% of this. I agree that if whatever we're calling grace is more interested in hiding, ignoring, or quickly moving on, it's not grace. I agree with that because we just talked about Titus 2. Like an understanding of grace pushes us. It teaches us. It keeps us accountable. It keeps us from hiding, ignoring. It, it keeps us. Uh, it produces faithfulness and confession and, and repentance. But the thing I, I was snagged on was the first part where it says the thing about grace is that it gives us the freedom to be honest about the brokenness in ourselves. And that's why in that in my in my comment was we, we might be talking semantics here, because what do you mean by the inside? If by the inside, you're just meaning um, things that we're thinking or our behavior or sometimes the desires which which are broken, then I mm-hmm. then I then I agree. But if you're talking about who we are at the core, about if we're talking about who we are as sons and daughters, that's not broken. That's called blameless. And that's not just a positional thing. And I think that's what some people like think. They're like, yeah. oh, okay, yes, positionally we're good with God, but like we actually like we actually aren't. Like mm-hmm. and and kind of bridging this not just knowledge and kind of lofty um, positional stuff, but to actually experiencing and believing that what he did was true. Um, and that will kind of get us um the, the, we could obviously keep talking about this because it keeps stringing along but that's when the the talk of what is flesh and what is this sarks or sin nature or or how some translations have butchered that interpretation um that's that's kind of I the don't, conversation i don't believe in. in a sin nature in the way that most people talk about it by the way i've I actually just written a whole like essay for a class on this yeah. um so we, if we can go through that, if you want to, like, I think it's very, I've, I have a, I think I have a very compelling case for like, you aren't a sin and you aren't a sinner until you sin. Mm-hmm. Um, which, I mean, if you want to go through that, we can't, I'm more than happy to like talk about that. This. May, that may start, uh, not let's, not let's, it's a different let's, topic. yeah, let's do this. And then if we have time, we can go through that if we want. Okay, cool. Um, I guess I didn't really read. I just sounded like a heretic to so many people, but that's okay. Yeah, I'm just I'm just saying what scripture says, man. Yeah. Anyway, but yeah, um, I so like, yes, I agree with you wholeheartedly. Um, and to bring to bring this into like another realm, to bring a oh man, I just took it away. Um, to bring another resource in here that might be helpful, and I'm from what all you've said, I will be shocked if you haven't read this. 
or read stuff by him. But one of the best books of when we started, you started talking to me and asking, like talking about grace and our hearts and us being made new, new creations and that like meaning that we can trust ourselves, that we can follow our hearts, that we can, that we can, you know, trust what we are saying to ourselves as believers as like, Oh, that thing that like you wanting to go do that thing or build that business or be involved in whatever, or like, you feel like you need to take more rest. Like that's not an evil thing in you. That might be the Holy spirit prompting you to do certain things. Yeah. But if you're just conditioned to say like, Oh, I can't trust myself because my heart is deceitfully wicked. Then like, you're going to run into a lot of unnecessary walls. Mm. Right. Um, so a book that's been super, super helpful with this. Uh, if you've read it, I'll be very happy and we can talk about it. If you haven't, I'd say like, it should be the next thing you pick up. Uh, my, my physical copy is really messed up, but it's uh, Waking the Dead by John Eldridge. Huh. Um, read other books, but not that one by him. Okay. You, you need to, cause he's right up your alley. I'll, okay. I want to bring in some quotations from him um, okay. to kind of help us think about this. Cause he, he, he's, he's tracking on the same lines. Hmm. Um, and I was doing a bit of, you know, prep, I guess, more or less this morning. Um, to to like where was it ah, i think you're you know i'm sorry i'm like making no, sure that good. i'm going to read something that's actually helpful and on the lines of what we're talking about uh you can make any comments if you want i'm i'm still like i guess what was like you talked about yours. I'll give you this question so you can talk as I, as I kind of look. Um, you talk about your experience in, you know, digging in these passages, starting to exegete them, you know, how, how you look at some of this stuff. Um, what kind of like struggle, I guess this is a good question. What kind of struggle have you had in, you know, communicating this, right? Mm -hmm. Where are some of the big roadblocks for people that you see? And this makes me, not laugh because I, I don't want to come across condescending, but a lot of um, the conflict or accusations come from this uh, idea of hyper grace. So it's like, oh, you, yeah. you, you're just too focused on like grace. You're making too much of grace. And, it, <laughs> and I think Paul had the same reaction in um, to the Romans six or seven. Um, because, um, like they say, oh, you need to concentrate on other things besides grace. Like there's got to be something else. Like if like grace isn't as big as you as you're as you're saying it is, it doesn't produce this godliness like. Um, but I guess that's that's the part that really gets me because I read passages like Titus 2 and I read all these um, books in the New Testament, I guess, majority of Paul and he's introing and he's and he's kind of um, doing his greetings, I guess you could say. And he always starts off with grace, grace in our Lord Jesus Christ, because of the great um, knowledge and grace and everything that we have. Like he always starts it off with this understanding of grace, because that's the catalyst for everything that we do. Grace is this transformational work of Jesus Christ, which produces the fruit. And I think that's what a lot of people um, don't get is, they kind of separate 
grace and forgiveness from good works and and they kind of say like they're two different ballparks when in reality um like one does not exist without the other and and by, and by that i mean works is good works good faithful whatever you want to call it type of works that are honoring to god do not exist without grace yeah. um so that's that's some of the contradictions that i've um that we our pastoral staff um and our network and i mean there's other other books and other like i'm not saying that our church is the only one that thinks this obviously there's tons of others and i and before i joined my church i was starting to having having these thoughts of okay am, am, am i a saint or am i a sinner where where is this where is this battle actually lie like um and trying to understand it um but that's been something that's been big for our church and how people are kind of handling this message is that they think we're too focused on grace, uh, which is, which can be um, the trick because if you're not communicating it faithfully and, and teaching it appropriately, then it, it becomes a slippery slope. And, and just how someone talking about good works, if they're not faithful to yeah. communicate the catalyst of the good works that we have a problem. Um, mm-hmm. So there's, there's dangers and cautions on both sides of the, the emphasis. Correct. Uh, okay. So uh, I might end up reading a few pages. If you want to interject, you know, as I'm reading some of this, you're more than welcome to. Yeah. Um, but I think I found what popped in my head from, from reading this book a few years ago when this morning, as I was hoping we would get somewhere here in our conversation ergo we have um so thank god for that um but this is from uh, walking or waking the dead as i talked about and the subtitle you'll like this the subtitle of the book is the secret to a heart fully alive and he quotes um saint irenaeus in the beginning of the book he says it says the glory of god is man fully alive so it's like how does god make us fully alive is the you know central question that he's trying to answer so this portion, just for context, comes from a chapter four. It's part two of the book. Part two is called The Ransomed Heart. Chapter four is called Ransomed and Restored. This is, this is at the very end of that chapter, um, starting on page 69. The, this ty- the uh, heading here is The Dwelling Place of God. The year is about 1450 BC, somewhere in the desert east of Sinai. A band of runaway slaves have pitched camp. In the middle of the camp, the nomads have erected a tent of goat hair and skin, a design given to them by God himself when he walked face to face with Moses on the mountain. Oh, that phrase is so interesting. But anyway, we don't have time for that. The tabernacle had two parts, the holy place and the most holy place, the holy of holies. It was in the most holy place that the presence of God would come. Moses did everything just as the Lord commanded him, and the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle, Exodus 40, 16, and 34. And just as And just as Adam was a pattern of the one who was to come, just as the sacrificial lambs offered by the Jews in the tabernacle were foreshadowed an event, foreshadowed an even greater sacrifice to come. So the tabernacle itself was a picture of something even more amazing. I think you hinted at this earlier in the conversation. Uh, It was a kind of mythic symbol given to us to help us understand a deeper eternal reality. Each person knows that now his body is the temple of God. Do you not know that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have received from God, 1 Corinthians 16, 9. Indeed, it is. 
Indeed it is. Don't you know that you yourself are God's temple and God's spirit lives in you? 1 Corinthians 3.16. Okay. Each of us is now the temple of God. So where then is the holy of holies? Your heart. That's right. Your heart. Paul teaches us in Ephesians that Christ may dwell in your heart through faith. God comes down to dwell in us, in our hearts. Now, we know this. God cannot dwell. This is what we're getting at. We know this. God cannot dwell where there's evil. You are not a God who takes pleasure in evil. With you, the wicked cannot dwell. Psalm 5, 4. Some, something pretty dramatic must have happened in our hearts then to make them fit to be the dwelling place of a holy God. Of course, none of this can happen for us until we give our lives back to Jesus. We cannot know the joy of our life or the freedom of our hearts I've described until we surrender our lives to Jesus and surrender them totally, renouncing all the ways we have turned from God in our hearts. We forsake the idols we have worshipped and give our hearts over. We turn and give ourselves body, soul, and spirit to God, asking him to cleanse our hearts and make them new, and he does, and he gives us a new heart, and he comes to dwell there in our hearts. Um. Okay. Uh, so good. Uh, okay. Here's here's the other thing I want to get to. Uh, yes, I think this will make the point even further, and then and then we can discuss. Uh, he says this. This is in like the end portion where he's like reflecting on what he's written about. Let me clarify. I'm not saying that now every impulse that seizes you is good. I'm not saying we no longer battle sinful desires. This is what you what you mean when you say you 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 exegete it, you talk about it um, with what's the word I'm looking for? Um, correctly, not correct is not the word I'm looking for. It'll come to me. Um, more on that in the next chapter. What I'm saying is that Jesus was not lying to us when he said that the seed that falls on good soil stands for those with noble and good hearts. This might help. Simply insert, this is this is interesting. Simply insert wicked heart into all the New Testament passages on the heart, and you'll see the absurdity. Substituting wicked heart in these scriptures mocks the very meaning of the passage, revealing that the authors did not have wicked heart in mind. This goes directly, like, yes, with and directly against when, because this makes me so angry when pastors will say all the time, you don't trust your heart. He's saying this to groups of Christians. Don't trust your heart. Didn't you know your heart is deceitfully wicked above all things? And it's like you're like foregoing all these other scriptures that talk about what happens to our heart if that's like your main point, right? Um, but he says that substituting bad heart, wicked heart in these passages. This is Ephesians 5.19. But the seed on good soil stands for those with a noble, or you could say, but the seed on good soil stands for those with a wicked heart. That's sorry. That's Luke eight five eight fifteen. This is Ephesians five nineteen. Sing and make music in your wicked heart to the Lord. Ephesians six six. Do the will of God from your wicked heart. First Peter one twenty two. Now that you've purified yourselves by obeying the truth, so that you have sincere love for your brothers. This is what we were talking about. Love one another deeply from the wicked heart. How would it change your life if you believed God has truly given you a new heart? Anything? Not much more to be said there. 
So good. I love that. Like just, I read that and it just opened my eyes. Like, Oh wow. Like, Cause if we insert that thing that, like I just said, gets said all the time in church two groups of Christians. Oh, don't believe your heart. Your heart's deceitfully good about all things. Well, okay. Insert that. And in all these verses that talk about your heart being good and doing things from your heart as a Christian, it doesn't work. It doesn't make any sense. Yeah. And that's why I think you mentioned this earlier, you hit walls. I think that's what you said. Um, you can't find true victory from sin if you if you don't know how to fight it or why you're even free from it. Um, mm, I think too, yeah. many people, too many people want to curb sin by following the rules, whether it's uh, the Mosaic law or w- whatever it is, like man-made laws, like, um, like you may be able to try to muster up something and find some type of... Uh, fake victory but it's not the true victory that we see like galatians 5 like um he says for freedom that i have set you free mm-hmm. um so we don't have to be burdened burdened again by this yoke of slavery um and throughout galatians it's in this context of talking about rules works-based salvation sp- specifically from the standpoint of um the mosaic law and people wanting to still adhere to it and do that's that's probably another conversation i'd love to have um, just as you're working through the Old Testament and understanding yeah. the Mosaic law and its proper purpose. And because, mm-hmm. dude, I grew up like memorizing the Ten Commandments and like, oh, I don't need to covet. I don't need to. I need to be honoring my uh, father and mother and like don't use the Lord's name in vain. And why all those things are true, like I use them as like the reason why I don't do those things. I look to, I'm quoting Paul, like I look to tablets of stone. I look to these to these quote in and of themselves, holy and good things. But that's, that's not what we're supposed to look to because that's not who Jesus is. Jesus isn't, isn't on those tablets of stone. He may be, it may be describing God's design and some of those designs may transcend into our, uh, the law of Christ or the new Testament. So I'm kind of, I'm kind of getting into this conversation of yeah. uh, Old Testament law and yeah what it means for us today. Um, so I don't really want to go there because that opens up another can of beans. Yeah. And I'm, uh, I'm not in no way prepared to talk about that. I would have to do a little bit more research and yeah, like and collect I, and my not, thoughts more or less. I'm not either. Like um, I, but part of me, obviously you need to have some type of research and some, some, type, some type of knowledge to talk about it. But like at the same time, I, I find myself sometimes preventing myself from talking because I don't feel adequately equipped. And I feel yeah. like some of those best conversations come from a lack of knowing fully or being equipped. Um, so yes, like do your research and everything. But I, like, I think part of that is, is wrestling through it and, and yeah. not knowing all the answers and us kind of going back and, and, and talking about it and then going back to scripture um, and then getting back together another week um, and kind of talking through those things. Um, but um, yeah. And I, I guess the last thing that I'll say that I wanted to mention on the quote um, is, like I said, I love Mr. Owens and I would love the chance to talk with him about this and what exactly he understands and believes about um, what exactly is broken on the inside. Um, Because I don't want to put words in his mouth. I've had people do that to me. I think that we see that all the time from people getting snippets from sermons, getting snippets from conversations and implying things that, the whoever spoke them didn't even mean in the first place yep uh 
but like he he never messaged me he never commented um so like I thought that was I was a little disappointed like I was looking forward to that conversation and potentially learning I would potentially like just trying to to learn and understand what he means or what he wanted to um what he wanted people to understand and believe from from posting that um so I'm curious if we'll have a conversation. Um, I may give a little bit more time and just DM him and be like, hey, man, I apologize if I came across uh, any way, not what I attended, but I'd love to have a conversation. So there may be an update to this conversation, which I think would be cool. Um, but, yeah. Okay. Um, yeah, I, I, I would be really curious to hear if any of that happens. And And, again, it's one of those things where it's like, Look, I could, you know, I could see, you know, I'm not necessarily in like this realm right now. Like I would probably be posting different things, but like the point being that, you know, I can still post something that I find interesting that then I won't agree with the whole thing of what's said. Right. So that's a difficult thing to navigate as well. Like, yeah, I, I also don't want to just wholeheartedly assume that Owens would agree with everything that's said in that post or even interpret it the way that we might think that this certain person's interpreting these things. Um, yeah. So. Which bring, brings me back to a point I wanted to make about Bema. Uh -huh. um, like any, it, regardless if you're reading John Piper, Andy Stanley, Stephen Furtick, um, those, I mean, those are some very different, uh, spectrum yeah. of pastors and their philosophy of ministry and their theology. Um, but I think it's good to, to read and, and take in things that regardless of you agree 15% or 99%. And what I wanted to mention about Bema is there's things that I may disagree with and, or things that I'm challenged by that I want to learn more of and find more of a stance on. Um, but for the most part, dude, that, that thing's been unbelievable and kind of segueing into kind of my sermon prep and kind of the catalyst for me wanting to talk on rest was from Bema. And even though like, um, like the way he communicates Genesis one, like I'm in my, in my sermon on Sunday, I'm, I'm not going to so much. Take a, um, take a stance. Well, yeah, I'm not going to so much take a stance and repeat what he said more uh -huh. just about the concepts and the truths of. Yeah. 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 Why did God rest and why did he call what he called very good? And what does that mean for us today? Um, especially as it means to um, uh, what's, what's this quote I heard? Um, like rest does not denote this idea of not doing good works, but rest is this idea of not using good works as a merit of righteousness, like mm -hmm. um, and understanding and that, what I've kind of come down to. And I think this is going to be my final um, like my understanding of rest right now is rest is this state of being and, and having enough because yes. you can't, you can't rest if you're, if you're plagued or in fear of not being enough or having enough. Um, and that's not to say that we're perfect in the sense of like, we're always going to make the right decisions that, um, we're always thinking clearly, but we have, we've been equipped. We've been given everything for life and godliness going back to that, um, uh, first Peter two passage, like yeah, he's given everything to us. And now it's about us believing and, and pressing into and wrestling and being challenged and convicted as we learn more about who God is and more about who we are. Um, yeah. so that's a journey that I've recently started and 
it's changed a lot of my perspective on how I communicate things and talk about things uh, with people who are trying to handle sin and understand um, this, this apparent contradiction between themselves, sin, and a, and a good God who's calls you good. But at the same time, we see Christian communities trying to curb sin by saying you're bad and how you get good is by doing doing things um that's just the it's a recipe for disaster yeah um yeah the thing just to comment on that rest um uh topic really quickly the thing that really impressed itself upon me when i first started listening to Bayman and came across his teaching on that on the centrality of rest mm. was that rest was ultimately a function of trust right and the yep. reason that I feel like I can't rest would be because I ultimately don't trust. Hold on, I'm gonna like, I'm gonna write that down. I really, I really like that. So you you kind of thought and, of, I'll, and I'll put it I'll put it I'll I'll explain a little bit for you. So maybe you can use this yeah. if you want. How it hit me was like, oh, if I I need to trust that even if I, you know demand to use kind of a loaded word a day off work right especially if you're an hourly employee well my function in that is to say all right god i know i need to rest i know it's good for me i know that as jesus says um man was not made for the sabbath sabbath was made for man like it's something good for me that you want i'm going to trust that even if i have this day off work even if i don't do anything for monetary gain that i'm going to have enough money I'm going to trust that even if, you know, you know, say like, I love Marty's rule. We, we rest, we play, God loves us. Right. But like, there might be a day where I'm like, Hey, you know, friends, you know, I just need to rest. I need some, I need some alone time. I need, I need to sit with myself and be cool with me before I can be with you. Right. If I can say, look, I'm resting and I need to trust Lord that, even if I don't hang out with so-and-so, even if I don't do so-and-so, my relationship is still good. Where like, if you fear, like I used to fear that if you don't say yes to your friends all the time, they're not going to be your friends. Then either you have an issue with how you view your friendship or like you need new friends. Mm -hmm. um, but like, Lord, I need to trust that if like, I don't work out today, that like, I'm going to be good. That like, like, I know I have like a body dysmorphia. I know I'm like never satisfied with how I look, but learning to trust that like you still love me and then I can still love the body that I have, even if I don't do this. Right. It's just a function of trust at the end of the day. For me, that was what clicked was like, Oh yeah. I don't feel like I can rest because I don't trust. I don't trust that my friends will stay loyal. I don't trust that God's going to like provide for me. I don't trust that I'm going to get what I need. I don't trust that I'm going to like have enough money, which is like always super weird. Cause I've never really had that issue, but like, Dude, it's that's it for me. Like, yeah. And the one thing I was just thinking through because uh, one of the things I've learned in communicating is just having like one clear point um, yeah. and just saying it a lot of different ways. And I think my main point is going to be um, fight for rest daily. Um, yeah. Like we see Hebrews 4. Um, he's, um, He's talking and he's like, 
you have to work, you have to strive to enter this rest because it's, and he's not saying that he says work to enter rest, but I think the concept is it's so countercultural. It's so counter to what the, this world is trying to get you to do that. It, it does take work to enter rest. It takes work to not to believe that you have enough. Um, Cause there's so much of the world that's berating you with like, Hey, you need more, you want more, you're not enough. Um, and and understanding this concept of spiritual rest is a continual mindset where like physical rest, like you factor that in and you can have physical rest, not 24 mm-hmm. seven, obviously, yeah. but there's, there's this concept of rest that's continual. It's not just for Sunday or not just for one day out of the week. Um, and so letting this idea of trust, this idea of, I love the, the term trusting the story kind of give you, put you in a place of rest of, of faith, of, of grace, so that you know how to navigate this life. Okay. I need, I need physical rest here. I need to spend some mental rest here, emotional rest. Like, yeah. um, so that's been something I'm, I'm trying to think through and, and kind of get down. Um, cause I think a lot of people think of rest as, uh, once a week or once a month or whatever they've decided in their mind, instead of like a truth that our minds are trying to cling to continually. Mm-hmm. Um, in the sense of spiritual rest, I guess you could say. Yeah. Yeah. Well, best of luck to you, man, in communicating. Is that going to happen this weekend? It is, yeah. Okay. So in a few days here. Uh, yeah. I have, uh, so I'm going to transition. I think we might end on this, unless okay. there's more after this that you are just itching to talk about. Um, no. I mean, we can talk about my sin conceptions, but maybe that's for another time. Yeah. Um, uh, but I have another quotation from another book that I, I, I've talked about this for one of my classes uh, a few days ago. I actually have a video that I'll probably post of me reading this and kind of giving some response. So it might be double up for, for those of you who might hear this for a second time, depending on what order I post these things in. Uh, but this is from uh, another, you know, I'm just the guy that's going to recommend all the books. Uh, another book that I think, especially for you in, in the role you're in, I think would be Vital. Marty talks about this book when he talks through the Sermon on the Mount, because that's essentially, you know, the the underlying structure of what the book is about. But it's the I don't know, I can't really focus on it. The Divine Conspiracy by Dallas Willard. He's now deceased a few years ago. Fascinating. What? It sounds like it's intriguing. Like no, it's great. It's great. He basically takes like how do we understand the Sermon on the Mount and what Jesus is doing in our lives as Christians. And so this will give you a little bit of a taste of kind of what he's aiming at. But I want to get some response from you on this in terms of your role as a teacher and in terms of like what we've been talking about, some of the struggle to communicate these things um, in a church setting and all of that. And this quote is, oh, it's about a page. So I'll read all of it so you can get the gist and then we can discuss. Um, This is in his chapter where he talks about... uh, Yes. So he opens the book. The first three chapters are like him laying the foundation of why he's talking about these things. This is from chapter two. He talks about two different ways which we construe the gospel in the you know left and right extremes. And this chapter is on the gospel of sin management, which would be the conservative extreme of how we talk about the gospel. Um, the, the more liberal left-wing extreme would be a gospel of social action. Um, and he, he addresses both of these in this chapter, but then he has a totally second chapter on the second way in which we construe the gospel. 
But he says this, this section is called the centrality of the pulpit. And I love this. He says, we now return to a point made earlier in this chapter when we spoke of shifting the focus. And for the moment, we speak specifically of those of us who teach and lead, bearing the pastoral role in church and in society. The situation we have just described, the disconnect of life from faith, the absence from our churches of Jesus, the teacher, is not caused by the wicked world, by social oppression, or by the stubborn meanness of the people who come to our church services and carry on their work for, of our congregations. It is largely caused and sustained by the basic message that we constantly hear from Christian pulpits. We are flooded with what I've called gospels of sin management in one form or another, while Jesus' invitation to eternal life now, right in the midst of work, business, and profession, remains for the most part ignored and unspoken. Most of us, or most, not all, must not all who speak for, Christi for Christ constantly ask themselves these crucial questions, and I'll repeat these at the end, but he says this. Does the gospel I preach and teach have a natural tendency to cause people who hear it to become full-time students of Jesus? Really? Would those who believe it become his apprentices as a natural next step? What can we reasonably expect would result from people actually believing the substance of my message? The conditions so eloquently deplored deplored by numerous leaders already already quoted in this chapter is nothing but the natural consequence of the basic message of the church as is her today it would be foolish to expect anything else than precisely what we've got a saying among management experts today is your system is perfectly designed to yield the results you're getting this is a profound though painful truth that must be respected by all who have an interest in Christian spiritual formation, whether for themselves as individuals or for groups or institutions. We profess Christianity will believe what is constantly presented to us as gospel. If gospels of sin management are preached, they are what Christians will believe. And those in the wider world who reject the gospel will believe what they have rejected is the gospel of Jesus Christ himself, when in fact they have not heard it yet. And so we have the result noted. The resources of God's kingdom remain detached from human life. There is no gospel for human life as Christian discipleship, just one of death or one of social action. The souls of human beings are left to shrivel and die on the plains of life because they are not introduced into the environment for which they were made, the living kingdom of eternal life. To counteract this, we must develop a straightforward presentation in word and life of the reality of life now under God's rule through reliance upon the word and person of Jesus. In this way, we can naturally become his students, apprentices. We can learn from him how to live our lives as he would live them if he were we. We can now enter his eternal kind of life now. I'll read those questions again. Must not all who speak for Christ constantly ask themselves these questions? Does the gospel I preach and teach have a natural tendency to cause people who hear it to become full-time students of Jesus? Would those who believe it become his apprentices as a natural next step? What can we reasonably expect would result from people actually believing the substance of my message? 
those are some very important questions to ask. I think yourself as a pastor, but then flip it around to say, is the gospel or is the teaching I'm hearing mm. giving me a yearning to, yes. to yes. be a disciple? Am I invigorated to, you know, like turn the questions around from a, from a listening standpoint? And I think we as pastors need to do that same thing because we're, mm-hmm. I mean, we're receiving and sitting and learning just as the people that are hearing our words. Yeah. I think we, we ask that from a standpoint of, of our people who are listening to me becoming disciples and, 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 and seeing the abundant life that Jesus came to give. Like we mm-hmm. see, like he says he's going to give in John 10, 10 and, and whatnot. But then also are we, as we're sitting researching, learning, spending time with Jesus, is this mm-hmm. invigorating us? Is it, is it, is it cultivating this passion? Like, what is it producing in us? Um, so I hear that and I'm like, I need to ask that of myself first before I ask that of someone yeah. I'm preaching to. Yeah. yeah. And I love the, I love just the way he phrases things, right? Yeah. Would it prompt you to become a full-time student of Jesus? That's his impetus in, yeah. in discussing the Sermon on the Mount, more or less is like, he's teaching, you know, mm-hmm. there's a great book sitting at the feet of Rabbi Jesus. Marty talks about this, right? Mm-hmm. Walking in the dust of Rabbi Jesus. The, the idiom was, may you walk in the dust of your rabbi. Well, why? Did you follow him everywhere? Mm-hmm. And as he walks, his dust gets on you. Yeah. Right? This, as, um, I, as we were talking about, right, you, 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 we live in the faithfulness of Jesus, not so that we can do, go do whatever we want. That's the wrong side of this grace talk. Is that we live in the faithfulness of Jesus to know that through his faithfulness, we can act in the same manner. Mm-hmm. We become students of Jesus. We become people who enact his, like what uh, Willard just said, how like we act as like if Jesus were living our life, if, if he were we. Yeah. Right. That's why that's kind of the heart of Paul. Whenever he poses that question that I think people are asking is, okay, do we let sin abound so that grace is, mm-hmm. is, is, is producing us more and more yeah. like by no means. And I think that gets to the heart of it. It's like, is this essence of grace, this abundant overflowing total forgiveness. And maybe that's another topic. Like I believe in total forgiveness, past, yeah. present, and future. Yeah. Yeah. Like, you have, I mean, why, you have to like, yeah. Otherwise why. there is, otherwise the cross is not sufficient. Yeah, exactly. Um, and, and this is another topic we'll, we'll get into. I think eventually is, um, understanding the proper context for some yeah. of Jesus's teachings. Yes. Um, yes. Like reading like the Lord's prayer and getting to the ending and him saying like, if you do not learn to forgive others, then my, um, my heavenly father will not forgive you. So like people taking that out of context would be like, okay, so if I don't forgive this person, God's not going to forgive me. Like, so understanding and kind of, the proper context and mm-hmm. the reason and how people and how Jesus said things and why he said things yeah. and under, understanding whose audience was like under the law and, and him trying to yeah. be able to understand um, the proper place and the proper uh, purpose of the law and, and everything. Again, that, that probably opens up another uh, rabbit trail and, and yeah. can of beans that we don't want to get into right now, but um, Yeah. Uh, all right, I'll end. I'll end with with this. This is kind of like a. If you want to bounce off this idea, 
feel more than welcome. Um, but this is just something that I've been sitting with, wrestling with, especially, um, again, this episode isn't published, but Daniel and I, one of my good friends now, um, we discussed Jonah for a whole episode for an hour and a half um, last time we talked. And it was like, dude, I'm sitting there and we're talking about Jonah. We're talking about how um, certain themes in Jonah reflect, you know, Genesis and creation and the waters and the dry land and all this stuff. And then we talk about Jesus and Jonah and the, you know, the great story of him, you know, calming the storm, right? There's direct allusions to Jonah at the beginning of that, where like he's in the stern asleep in the boat, like Jonah was, right? Mm-hmm. But Jesus is a faithful Jonah in that story. And, um, and we, we like that the, the way that Jonah presses on you, and, you know, we talked about this quite a bit is, is, the ultimate question that Jonah as a book, as a story is asking is what does it look like when God forgives your enemy? And do you really want that? Do you really? Cause Jonah doesn't seem to want that. Jonah at the end of the story says, you know what, God, I'd rather die. I'd rather die than see my enemy forgiven. And you know why? Maybe his motivation changes, but at the end of the book, Jonah is saying, you know what? I ran away cause I knew you were too gracious. I knew you were too kind. I knew you'd forgive them. Right? Yeah. Wow. And in that and in that episode, and we as we talked about it, it's about Jesus and Jonah. You read, you read from Matthew 5, man. You read. You have heard it said, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. Which just that phrase alone makes you think about the story of the Good Samaritan even differently, right? But I say to you. Love your enemy. Pray for those who persecute you. And, and my point in bringing this up is, I, as I was sitting on the podcast, as I'm like reading it, like I was earlier from like on my screen, I'm like holding back tears because it's like, you, you gotta, like there's something about sitting under Jesus that is just so profound and something that I may encourage, you know, myself to do more of and those who are listening um, if you don't like feel this, if these words kind of land um, on, on deaf ears, if you're like, man, but this, this new heart, this thing that I, I so desire, I want to be that, you know, maybe I am a Christian, maybe I do believe these things, and, and I don't feel that kind of life, that spirit inside of me, and I would just implore you, sit, sit under Jesus. It might, you know, it's going to take some study to understand some of the things he says, like some of the things he says are very difficult. He's quoting the Old Testament. He's alluding to the Old Testament all the time. Like Marty says, it's always in the text, right? Part of what Jesus is doing. Part of the beauty is that, man, again, this is to the point, right? About Jonah and loving your enemies. If Jesus isn't challenging you, like actually challenging you, making you uncomfortable, Mm. then you aren't reading Jesus. He was doing this all the time. But as we sit, as we become students of Jesus, as we read what he has to say, may it it cause us to confess. May it cause us to repent. May we see the grace we're given. May we see his faithfulness so that we can then enact that as Christians. Mm -hmm. I would just say the more that we, and maybe it's just because I love to read the gospels, but the more that we sit under Jesus, follow our rabbi, I I think we have a lot to learn. Dude, and taking it uh, maybe not necessarily a step further, but saying it a different way. It's not yeah. just sitting at the feet of Jesus, but it's understanding Christ in us. Yes. He's not some 
teacher or or best friend or god that's near and then leaves yes that's that's a big line christian communities like yes you're far off from god like you need (laughs) to do this to get like what (laughs) like you like you think of romans 8 and it's like there's nothing that can separate from nothing god. there's nothing and, and if we feel that way it's us believing a lie that satan's trying to get us to believe because mm. dude he's in he's in us um but there's a lot of things that are trying to distract us from that reality that's like not letting us experience and embrace the reality of christ in us and i <laughs> screw tape letters i think is such oh, a yeah cool, yeah such a cool book because there's so many tricks that the enemy uses yeah. to get you to not believe the reality of Christ and you, the reality mm-hmm. of who God is and the reality of who Christ says you are. And it's, yeah, it's, it's so good and so hard. Um, so, yeah. All right. Well, I think that's the best place to end it. Um, so I guess thanks for listening look out, tell him, look out for my worldview cloudy when you sinking got you thinking it's a whirlpool caesar in your pockets you can't see who's in your pockets but stevie's inner visions touch your eyes and make the world move wifey bob her head and make her curls move crown jewel is character and this ain't immortality with fairy dust never land never say i never gave you hands if i can't give them back then you look